Biases are, are, are human. We are all biased. And I think understanding what those biases are, where they come from, why we have them, what we can do about them, helps answer your question about how do we, in the long term, become more inclusive. From the sunny palms of Los Angeles, this is Bully Buster, the podcast where Rhonda Orr speaks with guests battling the bully culture. Listen to real stories and find real solutions using Rhonda's Triangle of Triumph, going from victim to survivor to leader. Rhonda is an award-winning executive trainer, columnist, and speaker. She's also served as the founder of two nonprofits addressing child abuse and bullying. Now, here's Rhonda. Welcome back to Bully Buster. Today, I'm happy to introduce you to Greg Jenkins, who's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I'm so thankful for his military service stateside and in Germany, South Korea, and combat duty in Iraq. Greg was chosen to serve in the U.S. Army's Diversity Task Force at the Pentagon, where he developed and helped establish the Army's diversity program, trained to it, and master it for many organizations, corporations, and the Department of Defense. Greg continues to thrive with his own business within the arena of DEI, or Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, with his firm, Greg Jenkins Consulting, which emphasizes diversity, evolution, and inclusion. Greg has too many accomplishments for me to list, but you can find out more information at bullybuster.us slash Greg in our show notes. Welcome, Greg. So happy to have you on Bully Buster. Hi, Rhonda. Thank you for having me. What does DEI mean? Well, DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And it is a process that is very popular right now as, as we're trying to work our way through various societal frustrations and challenges that uh, we, we're experiencing. And does it mean anything as far as when you get deep into it, let's say in the HR programs at different corporations, what does it mean, for instance, inclusion means you have to level the playing field? What are some of the other things that have to happen in each of those categories? Let's start with diversity, the D and DEI. So I think based on on my experience, and I've been doing this since 2005, and and I I have learned from others that understanding diversity is really, you know, what is the value of diversity? If you think of diversity in its simplest terms, we're talking about the word differences. We're different. That's clear. We, We look different. We sound different. Even within various racial categories, we even though we may look the same, there's still differences. So understanding the value of diversity is the first step that everybody inherently has value. The next thing that I would say is in terms of equity is people wanting to have an equal chance. Because no one starts on an equal basis, correct? It's kind of a luck of the draw, where you're born, the parents that you come into the world with, how they view the world, what their resources are, how they raise you, what your background is, you know, that kind of thing goes on. It isn't necessarily equal. Looking at organizations, we want to try to give an equal opportunity. How do you level that playing field? You level the playing field as much as you can, partly by using inclusion, first of all. So that's the I part of this of this conversation. So in, inclusion is is being able to, to create a, an environment, a culture of an organization or a team where people are welcomed and respected and valued and heard, and, and they, they can show up and bring their full selves to work. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has equal ability or equal education or equal experiences. Of course not. That's the diversity right. piece. But, but in, in creating an inclusive, an inclusive workplace, and an inclusive container, we like to say sometimes, is one of the main steps in terms of, of how to give everybody an equal chance of advancing, working together as a team, creating higher performance, you know, those kinds of things. And doesn't it help you if you're creating a product, for instance, to have all those different opinions? It's kind of funny when you when you think of things that are created by certain groups of people for other groups of people. I could give you one quick example, and it's it's probably getting a little dated, but in terms of how we would produce a product for telecommunications. I, I know we don't use pagers anymore. You know, that, that's an old device. But, you know, when those were first developed, you know, they had <laughs> belt clips on them, you know, and those were so they were sort of designed by men because men predominantly wear belts. You know, not a lot of women do, but some do, of course, now <laughs> and then. That's kind of an interesting aspect. So, oh, yeah. I remember that. I definitely remember yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got that. <laughs> so, right. If we're going to design a product for women, as an example, if the ABC company is going to build something, you know, a, a good or a service that, that women are going to be the primary consumer of, it will be beneficial to have women as part of the research and development of that product or of that service. There's all kinds of arguments as to why diversity and inclusion are important. I was thinking about when I had a 30-year corporate career mm -hmm. and I started as a corporate trainer. And what I found so odd in the cosmetics and the cosmeceutical, pharmaceutical industry is that there were very few top executives that were women in an industry like that, where mostly, not always, of mm -hmm. course, that they would want to have a broader spectrum. And so how do you create that kind of situation if you don't have the people that are qualified yet to have the opportunity to advance? For instance, if they don't have the education, mm -hmm. if, if they don't have even the socioeconomic value, what do you do about that? How do you train everybody or how do you educate or provide resources or opportunities for everyone when they're in their primary education phase of life, you know, going through grade school and high, into high school and into colleges? So how does mm -hmm. a society create those kinds of resources that are available to everyone? The more people that want to be team players in various industries or businesses or efforts, we've got to start out pretty young, right? But for an organization on, a, let's say, a smaller scale, what does an organization do that is trying to do what you just said? How are they going to hire more women, you know, bring women up, maybe up the pipeline into, into leadership positions? And we don't imply that diversity, equity, inclusion means you just go hire people willy-nilly. We do have to make sure that folks do have the background, the experience, the education, the potential, and the willingness and the want to go into those positions. But when we do have women specifically in this example we're talking about now that do have the willingness but don't necessarily have the senior leadership experience yet we could do things like training there's mentoring there's coaching there's there's job opportunities there's there's things that we can stretch and grow individuals women or otherwise to prepare them for advancements into those higher level positions 
How did you get started in the DEI space? I'll be very honest with with you and your listeners. I really didn't see myself in this position well into my previous career. You know, I, I spent over 28 years in the United States Army. And thank you first, again. Thank you. And for your thank service. You. Thank you. Thank you for your support. That matters. So the first 20 years, I was never against diversity or equality or, or inclusion. It was just something that I just didn't really spend a lot of time and effort in focusing on. I was working on, you know, being the best kind of soldier and leader I could be. And I had the unit that I was assigned to, we had just come out of the invasion of Iraq in, in 2003 and 2004. And, and at that point, I was going to, I had reached my 20-year minimum to retire, and I was going to request to retire. And the Army said, no, we want you to go learn about equal opportunity and, and diversity and inclusion. And I was like, no, no, not me. Aren't those programs for women and minorities? Why are you sending, you know, this, this, this older white male to those courses? But long story short, really the, the communication back to me was, we're going to send you because it's going to make you a better leader and you're going to make the organization better with, with the ways that you can communicate its value. And once I realized the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it really lit a passion in me. It was a, it was a change in direction of my career. I've been doing this since 2005. It's something that I think I will do as for as long as I'm physically and mentally able to do. When you're talking about DEI, Inclusion mm-hmm. is, I think, an innate quality that we're all born with. We want to belong. We want to be loved. And so when people say, oh, don't, don't take it personally, it's just business. That's one of my pet peeves, mm-hmm. always has been, because that's saying, well, you're just all alike. Everybody's the same. That kind of need for relationships is the basis of everything that we do, how we build relationships, who we are, what our backgrounds are. You're, you're exactly right, Rhonda. Everybody wants to be on the team. I think we, we want to be, and I'm going to use this term very respectfully, you know, it's, it's good to be in the tribe. Our chances of finding a mate and eating food and procreating. I mean, this goes back down to, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. So, so we are hardwired to be included and connected to other human beings. There's no question about that whatsoever. I think what, where we, we kind of stumble along the way, though, is by our biases, of which we all have. In the, the work that I do with clients that I, I interact with or have interacted with, there's sometimes the stigma that I don't have a bias because bias means bad and I'm not a bad person. And really, this is a great opportunity right now to break that myth. Biases are, are, are human. We are all biased. And I think understanding what those biases are, where they come from, why we have them, what we can do about them, helps answer your question about how do we, in the long term, become more inclusive. Understanding we have biases, understanding how to manage them can be very helpful in in the way we make inclusive cultures exist. When we're talking about inclusiveness, what happens when a woman goes to a meeting? Because we do have a lot of women listeners to my bully buster. And we are taught differently, especially women around my age, Mm -hmm. that the etiquette portion of being in business seems to be a little more formal with women. And sometimes the casual attitudes Mm -hmm. of some men kind of excludes women. So how do you train to that? 
Well, you know, that's a great question. And I think the question lands on men more than it does women, right? We have biases about gender. We have biases about race and skin color and accent and, and all kinds of things. And so if I am a man and, and my biases, whether they're conscious and or unconscious, because we have both, you know, another way to say bias, maybe for your audience, is the word preference. It's the same, it's a synonymous, those two words are synonymous with one another. So if my preference is for, for men to be in leadership positions or men to be about around the boardroom, if that's conscious, well, then, of course, I know fully well that I, what I want and don't want in terms of who's around me on my senior team. But if I'm unconsciously biased, I won't even realize the fact that I'll behave in a way that others around me, probably particularly women, will pick up on to say, gee, this guy doesn't, Greg really doesn't really want me around here based on his speech and, and behavior, even though I may be unconscious of those biases. So I think the way to, to start to address being more inclusive for women by men is for men to understand that they may have either a conscious or unconscious bias against women in particular right. positions or roles. I think sometimes, because we used to do focus group studies, mm -hmm. you would want to have a d diverse group of people around your table sure. experiencing your different products, whether they be visible or, or not, mm -hmm. from different groups. And in a way, it kind of pointed out all the differences. Well, we have our woman who, here, and now we have our person who is black, and mm -hmm. now we have, and so on and so on. It goes down the list. But in thinking about the thought process that goes through everyone and their subconscious, how the brain works, how science works, how psychology works, when we did that, we wound up having a lot of the same opinions, if that makes sense to you, in the fact that their belongingness mm -hmm was the focus group. So they took their cues from other people in the room to kind of rise up to mirroring each other, which may not be authentic. Yeah, I mean, you and I can, can you know, obviously we're, we're two different genders, but we can have very similar thought processes, you know, in terms of business and whatnot, but our experiences are, are not the same. And that's an advantage. Yeah. You know, if I'm trying to develop, uh, you know, a good or a service for a female audience, I'm guessing here, you know, about, about what that experience is. I can't possibly know that. And then, of course, you would know that, I mean, as, as a woman. I think going back to your comment a moment ago about how you put all these different people in a room and yet the thought processes were kind of mirroring each other kind of maybe because of influences of other folks in the room. A number of things can be going on there. It depends on how was the how how are those processes led? Who's leading them? Is there a priming bias occurring? And what I mean by that is, let's say for an example, Rhonda, you and I and and five other people of various genders and colors and races and and whatever, are in the room. I'm the leader of the room I'm the, of the group, and we're going to do some you know research on a on a product that we're going to you know we want to produce and sell, and we have three versions of it, version A, version B, and version C. And as we all gather in the room together, and I say, welcome, I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to take a look at these, the three versions of this product. And I'd like to really hear what you think about, you know, all three of them. But before we get started, let me just tell you that I really like version B. 
Go ahead, please discuss now. I've just primed you. I've inserted a bias. I've, I've just now reduced. And I've your, seen that done. Can you imagine? I've, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, what I've done is I've just reduced your willingness to give me your honest feedback because now you're like, well, Greg's the boss and he said he likes version B. So is there really an effort to, and to argue about versions A and C? So that's a very simple rudimentary example of a priming bias. And, and so that and other kinds of, of occurrences like that can, like you just mentioned a moment ago, can impact the way we're thinking and, and conversing and deciding, well, what do we think is the best thing to do here in this meeting or whatever the case may be. What motivates you to do this type of work? When I first got, you know, back in 2005, in the place that I started, the, the Department of Defense has a, an institute called the Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute. And that whole big mouthful, you can condense down to an acronym pronounced DIOMI. And as I'm going through DIOMI, I'm asking that same question. And I think the, the way I answer it now, and I, I think it's the way I always have, is I want to be on the team too. I want to be included too. I, I've been on, you know, out of 28 plus years in the military, 25 of them were in leadership positions but I still had leaders myself that they were in charge of me. And, and most of those leaders were really good people. Some of them not so good. And it's not, it's not healthy when you're working on a bad team, you know, with, with a toxic leader. And I think based on my experience of knowing what good inclusive leadership looks like and what not so good toxic leadership looks like, what motivates me today is, I really hope people are in a position or in an organization where they're having that, that inclusive experience. And if you're a leader and you're not sure how to do that, I want to help you do that. Because you care. Absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't care. And I can feel that passion from yeah. you. When you did some work for the Pentagon, what type of DEI work was that? We were a very small team back in 2008 that I was, I was incredibly fortunate to be a part of. And we were the, uh, the Army Diversity Task Force, and we ended up standing up or developing the United States Army's first ever policy on diversity. And this is for, at the time, it was an organization of 1.4 million people. And we had an opportunity to help the most senior Army leadership understand the value of diversity and inclusion and equity to the point that they created an, an entire effort program for this to include policy and marketing and competencies and, and other host of other things. And it was, it was a big achievement. Not, not for me, it was a big achievement for the Army because the military has to understand the value of diversity. They have to recruit from the, the population of the, of the U.S. and elsewhere. You don't have to necessarily be a U.S. citizen to be in the military if you meet certain standards and criteria. So I think helping the Army understand the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion was a big thing for the Army, for the American people. And I remember talking to you before, isn't it only about 15% of women that join the services? Yeah, it's, it's slowly growing over years. I want to say it's about 15, 16% if you look across the Department of Defense, which includes the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and the Marine Corps. And I think maybe the Marine Corps may have a little, maybe 14%, and maybe the Air Force about 17%, but it's about 15 or 16% versus 84, 85% male. Is the feeling of belonging, is that what keeps a lot of women away from that? I served with a number of outstanding people, many of them women, 
Some of them, they were my peers. Some of them were, they worked for me. Some I worked for them. And I don't know if that keeps them away or they may not understand the, the opportunities that do exist. Every position, unless something has changed recently that I'm unaware of, I think every position, just about every position is open to, to women in, in the military, in the services. It's, it's a pretty amazing opportunity. Again, if you're not exposed to it, depends on, you know, who are you surrounding yourself with? You know, what does your family think? You know, what, what are your, just, what are your interests in life? And, you know, not everybody wants to go be in the military and that's okay. <laughs> well, that's true. We don't want anybody that doesn't want to go into yeah, it. Yeah, then that, then that's okay. That's fine. Yep. That's the closest bond I can think of. And I'm talking about mostly in the past, serving on a police force, fire department, or in the military. Those have of course, traditionally been mostly men. But since it's been changing, mm -hmm. there are still cases of bullying. I, I still hear about that from women who are in different positions sure. within those fields. Can you tell me a story about how that might have been changed for someone that you knew? I can think of one particular instance where it wasn't so much bullying, it was, it was maybe an awakening of, of how to move forward with okay. one's career. There was a, a woman that, that I've, I've known for many, many years now, and she only, all she wanted to do when she was a young woman was just be in the Air Force. And she didn't care what she did. And so when, as soon as she was old enough, she ran down to the, the career center for the Air Force and she joined and they said, what do you want to be? And she goes, I don't care. And they said, okay, we'll make you a cook. And we need cooks and we have them in all the services. And she was very happy with that. And so she goes through, you know, her basic training and, and her advanced individual training. And she, be, you know, becomes a cook in the Air Force. And she's in a couple of years. And, and one of her sergeants approaches her one day as, as she's doing her daily tasks and said, you know, you're, you're really pretty smart. You know, have you ever thought about becoming an officer? As she tells the story, she says, you know, I never thought an officer. That's, you know, I couldn't be an officer, could I? Long story short, she, she goes through the processes because somebody brought to her attention this idea that she could be something more than what she was currently, even though she was happy with it. And, and she ultimately became an officer in the United States Air Force, completed an entire career and you know, after, the, after the Air Force, became a PhD and, and uh, has gone on to do great and wonderful things with that. So it really matters who you are surrounded with, who's caring for you? Who is asking you those questions? Who's pushing you in those directions? Who's feeding your self-worth? Yes, yes. Doesn't that have to be a part of the training? How do we let people know that the only way we can be authentic is to really dig deep and to figure out a lot of the things in our subconscious that are working against us? For instance, if you were bullied as a child, mm -hmm. that carries through. And oftentimes you are still bullied, whether you're supposed to be bullied or not. How do you move past that? Let's say it's weight, or let's say it is the color of your skin, or let's say it's your education or your socioeconomic background. How does that subconscious, how is that fed through training? I'm not trained in specifically the psychology of bullying. I, I can share service members that I, that I have experienced that seem to be 
weighted down by imposter syndrome as an example, right? Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. which can affect men and women. I think I think based on the the, the cursory bit of information that I've studied, you know, it, it probably affects more women than men, but it, but it can both. But you know, you're, you're right, Ron, it goes back to, you know, who, who raises us? How are we treated? You know, the messages that we receive really matter. And so when we're told over and over, especially in our young formative years, it's like the movie, The Help. You is good, you is kind, you is important. That oh is, my gosh. That is an you amazing- You just mentioned my favorite movie. Yes. And that little girl. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That should be like everyone. Everyone should be required to see some of that if you go and work somewhere. <laughs> how, how brilliant is, is Viola Davis's character? And she, oh Viola gosh. Davis knows that, that that's so important. And this is not even her child to tell that right. little girl, you was kind, you was good, you was important. Because the character knew how important it was because of, of who knows, right, the backstory of the character. But it's incredibly important that what we tell our children, what we tell each other. How we raise our children. And from the very young yes. age, I've had two nonprofits and one of them mm -hmm. was uh, Stop Child Abuse, theatrical organization and productions. And we produce theater to create funds and awareness for already existing programs mm -hmm. like Children of the Night sure. and Kids Peace. And Children of the Night was, was an organization that helped children from 40 years ago, I think, leave prostitution. Mm-hmm and to make something of their lives. And of course, nearly all of them mm -hmm. had suffered some kind of sexual abuse right. or at least physical abuse or something right. to, to that nature. But they had to leave Alabama and run to Hollywood and mm -hmm. not be able to make the money to live on their own. Mm -hmm. And then half the time they get sent back home. Mm -hmm. And what I'm when you have that kind of a background, unfortunately, you learn a lot of manipulation techniques because you have to. To survive. That's how you survive. Right. You know, so when these people want to work up, let's say, in the military, and they have this kind of relationship building activity, they, they also have to take a look at victimhood, right? What would be something that you taught that would help them to move past. Yes, I was a victim. And first, you know, all, all the grief, all the grieving stages that we go through. I'm thinking of the best leaders I ever had, because I'm going to give you the answer that I, that I learned from them. And this is what I did. No one ever asked me about the, the things that occurred to me or anyone else around me. It was, it was about what I mentioned a, a little while ago at the beginning of our conversation about, you know, creating these inclusive environments, you know, that inclusive mm -hmm. leaders do that. And so I think the best thing that I ever experienced was were leaders who valued me, respected me, welcomed me, and and listened to me. And Listen. that doesn't mean that they didn't allow me to do nothing. I, I worked hard, and 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 they they were demanding of of the mission we had at hand. But I always knew that I was important. I was good. I was important. I was kind. You know, you know, kind of going back to the the help the helpline. <laughs> it made me feel like you know, even though. It, the, the, the bumps and scrapes and dents that I picked up along the way, I was still more than all the bad things that had happened to me. That made me feel good about myself. It made me feel good about my leadership, it made me feel good about my, my other team members. And so when I was lucky enough to earn the rank of leader uh, in the army, I wanted to make sure that whoever was coming through the doorway into my team, metaphorically speaking, you know, those, that young man or that young woman was I welcomed them. I respected them. I would listen to them. 
I valued them. I wanted to make sure that I didn't care where they were from. You had met the standards of the organization. You were now a United States Army soldier, and, and you should be treated with dignity and respect. So I don't know if it's of a specific thing. It's more of a sense of just creating a culture, creating an environment where I'm glad you're here. And you're important to me as the leader and you're important to this team. And I want to do whatever I can to try to make you as successful as you want to be on this team. You know, Booker T. Washington, I love this quote. And for those who are not familiar, he was the president and dean, I believe, of the Tuskegee Institute for 30 years. And, you know, and he said, you can use your power in one of two ways. You can hold people down or you can help pull them up. And if you're in a leadership position, uh, you have power. And what you do with that power really, really matters. So I, I think, Rhonda, it's, it's to create that inclusive environment where you welcome, respect, value, and listen to people. They make some mistakes and they get in trouble a little bit. You got to correct them a little bit. We understand sometimes you got to be a parent. But if you're a good parent, you also love your team members too. You hit the nail on the head. That is perfect because we all are judgmental sure, to a certain extent. Yes. Right. But to become as unbiased as possible, the, really the only way I can see it happening is if you have actual love for everyone you meet and respect for them and the fact that they might not be at a certain place that you are at. Is there anything else that you can think of as far as an organizational DEI best practice that you would like to share? There's a couple of things. I mean, you know, organizations that, that want to do as much as they can for, let's say, various groups of people, veterans, women, African-American, Latinx, Asian, whatever, single mothers, LGBTQ, employee resource groups is an example of a container that organizations can create and allow folks to come in, and anybody can come in, to give women a place, an environment where they can come around to discuss the, the, the things that are going well in the new organization that they're in, or maybe the things that they could maybe need some help in the organization. And employee resource groups can be very, very helpful to those organizations that, you know, goes back to being, you know, to listening to, to your people. And so I would want to know, what's the experience of women in my organization? What's it like to be a woman in company X? I mean, we all know what the bottom line is, but I want to make sure you're an integral part of us producing whatever we produce here. I want to make sure you're healthy too. ERGs can be a fantastic way for that to, to, that to occur. Mentoring. Mentoring can be great. Oh, I mentoring. Mean, you know, yes. I, Who is your mentor? His name is Bob Dills, and he's still around, and he was a senior leader uh, many, you know, down, further down the road than I. And I think the reason that he comes to mind immediately, and I've had many, is he would, he would really give me honest feedback. <laughs> and sometimes it was not comfortable to hear it, but I knew based on how he led, the information he was sharing was for my own good. And I think, I think that feedback thing is really, really important, especially the honest kind. Everybody likes to hear feedback that, that makes you feel warm and fuzzy and good. And not, you know, when it's, when it's uncomfortable feedback and you don't want to hear about how you didn't do something well, that's not pleasant. But sometimes that's the best feedback you ever get. I think mentoring is, is another very, very uh, effective best practice that, you, that anyone can use. Yeah, really, really I, I don't out. know where I would be today if I didn't oh, have my grandmother. Yeah, she was a curator for the Southwest Indians, and she was the only one in Arizona that the different tribes would actually trade with her, mm -hmm. and they trusted her. And that's the greatest thing that you can say about your friend, Bob Dill. 
is that you trusted him yes. to be honest. Yep. Because I don't trust somebody who's always buttering me up. So I was reading through, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I was reading through Teen Vogue mm -hmm. and it talked about inclusion for young women and it had words, you know, your, your vocabulary that you should use to include others in your group. And they had things like y'all, which, you know, having lived in Texas, I, I get that. Friends, gang, team, folks. I don't know any young person that uses the word folks mm -hmm. and not even a millennial. But anyway, they had that in there. People, members, everyone, committee. What, if any of those words, would you say would actually be the best words for the young millennials to start learning about inclusivity? As simple as that question is, it does have some implications of how we talk to people. I'll share an experience that I had. I was, I was working with a client in New York, and, and at the time, this is a few years ago, I would, you know, based on my, my military background, we use the term ladies and gentlemen when addressing a new crowd, right? And, and at, up until that point, that particular day that this occurrence happened, I had, you know, I never had any feedback to counter it. And after the training was done, a young woman came up to me and she said, do you think that the term ladies and gentlemen made everybody feel welcomed? And I thought, well, I don't know. I, I assumed that it did. And she said, well, I am genderqueer and I didn't feel, I didn't feel included by you. I, and she wasn't attacking me and she wasn't being, you know, combative. She was just, she was giving me honest feedback. Her name is Celeste. And, and Celeste said, you know, Greg, if you want to try to get better reactions, better inclusion, maybe you could use the term, hello, everybody, or welcome friends, or some kind of more inclusive terminology, because she says you really limit it to you are assuming that everybody here identifies as a lady or a gentleman. And, and it, was, it was such good counsel. And here was a young woman I could easily have been her father, if maybe not her grandfather. <laughs> and, and she was, and, but she was really saying, hey, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. So I would say to millennials, to anybody out there, if you want to be more inclusive, if you want to make sure that you're not going to lose people in the audience, use those kinds of inclusive language that's going to encapsulate or you know, bring folks together. If we're saying, hey, guys, what's going on? You know, that may not affect me in a way. Even if there's, I've, I've had women who said it does, that doesn't bother them. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But I don't know everybody in the, in the audience. There may be people in the audience that didn't fall on them the way it did for me. So be as inclusive as you can with, your, with your, the way you address your crowds or your audiences or the people, you know, you, you encounter. You know, a good way when you're, when you're meeting somebody for the first time and you're establishing some rapport and you're establishing, you know, a new work relationship, you know, how do they want to be treated? The golden rule is treat people like you want to be treated. That is the golden right. rule. The platinum rule is treat people as they want to be treated. <laughs> that is so profound. I'm so thankful for that. The last thing I would like to leave with the audience today is find those inclusive leaders and environments that you can thrive and grow and develop in. And if you're not in one of those right now, and I hope that you are, but if you're not in one of those, keep your eyes and ears open. 
You may be in an environment or a place that's that's not too pleasant right now, but please know there are other good people out there in good organizations. So I don't want you to think this is the end of it. By all means, there are there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good things. So so please don't despair in that regard. It'll get better. I want to thank you, Greg, for your candid, meaningful conversation that we've had today. And I know that everyone who has heard you today can relate to someone who is authentically loving another person and creating that atmosphere throughout the world. And your work is tremendous. So I'll have more information about that and uh, how to reach you, Greg Jenkins Consulting, Mm -hmm. so that people can get in touch with you. And I thank you once again for being on today. Thank you. thank you, Rhonda. Thank you for, for all of that. And thank you so much for having me on. It, it's really been an honor and I really have enjoyed our conversation. It's been a joy. Greg is a kind, intelligent soul, one we can all aspire to be. And I'm happy he was here to impart his hard-earned wisdom. I believe we can't ever thank those who risk their lives in our service enough. We can honor his service by learning what Greg teaches, continues to learn, and offers everyone. My takeaways, number one, no one comes into this world equal, with equal parents, with equal resources, or equal education for our parents or others to raise all of our children in the world. But we can strive much harder to give. We individually give of ourselves equality in all facets of our lives and on as equal ground as we provide. We have to create environments cultures, and teams where all people are welcomed and respected, valued, and educated. Advancing to a better evolution of humans is Greg's best goal for all of us. Number three, the conclusion that I personally take from Greg's visit is that finding out whose fault it is that has caused civil unrest, cruelty, and unfathomable inequality is really in the end not the cure. It's gratitude for what each individual, organization, or team can give. That will change culture. Thank you again, Greg. You are beyond appreciation. Today's show notes are at bullybuster.us slash Greg. I'll be back next time. I'm Rhonda Orr. Until then, let's build civility for a new generation. Go to Rhonda's website, bullybuster.us, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. That's also where you'll find information about having Rhonda speak at your event or school. It's all at bullybuster.us.